With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. On October the 20th, 2016 from Coolidge, Arizona. We're glad you're on board tonight. We are in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. But before we go into the chapter, uh, if you receive the uh, notes, uh, we're going to spend just a few moments here on the term this generation because that's a lot of things pivot on that phrase. And I got uh, received a printout either yesterday or the day before uh, from ICR, um, Institute for Creation Research. They are so right in creation research and in their theology they are so wrong and this particular and by the way I have a high high regard for them but in this respect um, we're looking at what he said in this article so you can see how some of these things get uh, altered but he says some things that are really well right on so let's make a point of it on that page called This Generation by Henry M. Morris, Ph.D. Uh, he's quoting, first of all, he's basing his little article here on Matthew 24, 34, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. We've been over that several times, but he, he makes some very good points. Um, going down to the second paragraph, and what generation would that be? Good, fair question. Many commentators have taken it as the Jewish race. Now, that's pretty typical, right? But that would be redundant because, since many other passages had already promised that the nation of Israel would never pass away. Well, in that he's wrong, but for the sake of his argument here, it supports our position even stronger that he had to say that. But furthermore, about halfway through that paragraph. Furthermore, the Greek word for generation, G-E-N-E-A, is never used elsewhere for any meaning but that of a particular age generation. I don't believe I've said that before so clearly and succinctly, but that's right on. A similar word, G-E-N-O-S sometimes means stock or kind, but never the word that's used here for generation, G-E-N-E-A. That's a powerful point. Powerful point. He's right on, uh, except his little phrase there that the nation of Israel would never pass away. But that's not the point I'm after here. So then if you go all the way down to the fourth paragraph, you have the whole thing you can read at your leisure. Uh, the word for this in verse 34, this generation, 
is the, is the demonstrative adjective. And he's right on that. So Christ seems to be... Re- now, now listen carefully now. You are hopefully all sitting down. So Christ seems to be referring to that generation which sees these things begin to come to pass. Now what has he just done? He's changed the time element away from what he has just said. This is a demonstrative adjective. The emphasis then is on the time, that is this time, this generation, and he has immediately, after having said that, saying, well, that's any generation that sees these things begin to take place. Now, how could the author, Matthew, or in Luke, or in Mark, when they have said the same thing, be any more clear than what they were? So in the grammar part of it, the author here of this little article has got it wonderfully right, wondrously right. But what he does with it is so terribly wrong. And it leaves us with nothing absolute, nothing definitive. Any questions? No questions? All right, any comments? Let's go to let's go to lesson number nineteen then. Uh, <clears throat> Lesson number 19, episode 107, for this date, October 20th, 2016. We're still in chapter 14, and we'd like to get through uh, verses 15 through 20 tonight. Uh, We won't be dealing with a lot of detail, uh, but we will certainly nowhere come, we we will not come anywhere near close to exhausting here, but I think we can get the idea. Yes. How come that part of the Bible doesn't mean what it says, but every other part is supposed to? Anybody want to answer that question? Well, see, the Bible was written. God, you know, God was in the restaurant business, and he uh, he he has a chain of smorgasbord where you kind of pick and choose what you want, and so the Bible is a smorgasbord type. Thank you for straightening that out. Yeah, have you got that clear now? Yeah. Yeah, so you kind of pick and choose whatever you want. You can eat it now, or you can eat it 2,000 years from now. Yeah. It'll still be fresh. Yeah, be the same thing. (laughs) Okay, This, this chapter, we've got to start with Matthew chapter 13. If we can go there. Don't know that that's in your book, in your notes, but uh, some of the notes that I may be referring to are back in Lesson 17, so we'll be switching back and forth, but not much. We're going to have to we're going to have to move right along. In Chapter 13 of the Book of Matthew, verse 37. We're going to go 37, and and I realize we're kind of plugging into the middle of a parable here, but I think we can get the drift. Chapter 13, verse 37, 
And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So he's explaining the parable of the tares. And the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. All right, what does the King James say on that? Just so we have a reference point here. All right, there we have it. And what does the King James say, Alex? The world. It is the end of the world. So that has added to a lot of confusion that we're trying to clear up tonight and has been pointed out in the New American Standard. So the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest. Now he's telling us when the harvest is. It's not at the end of the world. Ionos is not referring to cosmos. It is a word in and of itself, meaning the space that comes in between two points no matter how close or far apart those two points are. That's the word ionos. Age is probably the ideal term, and they've used it here. Or it could be forever, it could be everlasting, it could be eternal. They all come from this precisely the same word, meaning that it has to do with something relating to time and what takes place between two, a beginning and an ending point. So the word age is the ideal word to be used uh, using here, for us, and that's what they've used in the New American Standard. So the harvest is when? Near. Near, but what specifically? End of the age. The end of the age. End of the, end of the Jewish world. The end of the Jewish world. Precisely. So that brings all of this into focus as to what we're talking about in chapter 14 because it is that harvest. Let's go on. Verse 40. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age, or an end of the world. You have a uh, King James. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I might ask when. We'll come back and answer that. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. And all of this is going to take place when? At the end of that age. At the end of the what? At the end of that age. The end of the Jews. The end of the Jewish age. They weren't thinking anything other than the Jewish age. That's who they were. And that's, that's right. That's, and that's who Matthew is addressing. Let's go over to the same chapter of Matthew and go to verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish for every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. Another descriptive way of defining what's taking place here at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have heard so many sermons on this, these two passages in Matthew 13. 
relating to our future? Anybody ever heard any teaching relating, using these verses and and this relationship to our future? Sure, if you've been around at all. Why, what would... What would most of these churches do if they didn't have this passage to keep people in a, a state of fear? Hellfire and brimstone. That's it. Yeah. And there, there's a there's power in scare tactic tactics, but we're not going there. It's very clear that he's talking about what he's talking about. So what we have attempted to initiate here, first of all, the idea that what's taking place in chapter 14 of the harvest is the harvest that Jesus said was going to take place at the end of the age. Now, that's what I'm submitting to you for your consideration and thought. So let's go to chapter 14 and verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, and he was crying with a loud voice. To him who sat on the cloud earlier in the chapter, we noticed who had come in the clouds or upon the cloud. Who was that? Who? The, the, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. To him who sat on the cloud, that's referring to the coming of Jesus, the Christ. And the angel said to him, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now, the sickle can mean a lot of different things. We're going to talk about that a little bit here in a moment. But first of all, we have here what I would consider that he's, he's he's making a reference here to um, the, I um, forgot where I was going. That's my problem today. All day long I've had that problem. But put, it, put, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. That's what you do. When you have a crop and it's ready to harvest, it's ripe. When the, and, oh, oh, what I was going to say was that the sickle can be any tool that's used in the harvest process. It can be, as I have a statement down here uh, later on in verse 17, uh, the, this sickle in verse 17 is in his hand, that is in his hand is the Roman Empire. It's what God used through Christ to bring about the judgment on these people. So we have two things going, we have two things going, uh, taking place here. One is that uh, here we seems to be that the first one is the harvest of those who are righteous. That seems to come first in verse 15. And the harvest of what in verse 15? All right, the earth, and we have learned that in the imagery of Revelation, the sea stands for the Gentile peoples and the earth stands for Palestine and the Jews. Haven't we adequately discussed that in times past? We don't need to go back and re, 
visit those studies, but we have to keep that in mind. So when he's talking about the harvest of the earth, he's talking about the same people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 13. Of, yeah, Matthew chapter 13. Now he's talking, he's talking about the same people that Jesus was talking to, and that is those people who inhabit the earth of Israel or of Palestine and the Jews. John probably was very, very familiar with the parable of the tares before, oh. before receiving this revelation. I, I think that a lot of the language is so identical. And, and yeah, so he was no doubt influenced by that. It would, hard, it, would, it would be hard for him not to be influenced by that. So. And I think that he, that was one of the keys that he built into the text. He was drawing from things in other parts of the text, yeah. you know, of the book, of the books that he could draw from and bring into here because it does adequately describe what it was he is seeing in his vision here. So he's writing with a lot of confidence here. Writing with, I like that, writing with a lot of confidence. So the angel said to the voice of him on the cloud, who, who has come in the cloud, who we have discussed was Jesus, for the hour to reap has come. And, of course, when, when the crop is ripe, there's no turning back. It has to be reaped. And the Jewish people, it was time to reap. The harvest was ready. Ready. White unto harvest. Now, when we go back then, and we take these passages in Matthew and Mark, and we refer them to our future, we're getting the wrong implication. We've got to remember that this harvest is taking place and this language is taking place with those to whom he's speaking and who he is speaking about, and that's the Jewish people. Once we have that clear, the church needs to bring its message up to speed with that truth. All right, verse 16. I've got, you probably see I've got a lot of verses. I've got a lot written in here, but you know we just haven't got time. If you get the idea, that's what we're after tonight. Then he who sat on the cloud. Now, who is that again? Christ. Christ. He's, he swung his sickle over the earth. Over the what? The earth and the earth was what? Israel, Palestine, the Jewish people, and the earth was reaped. So all of this language is referring to Palestine and what takes place with the people of Palestine. It doesn't say anything about America. Sure does suggest the one, though. <laughs> right? Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, it does. A lot of things going on here, but... I don't want to add anything to it. I don't want to make any... But that isn't what it's talking about. See, we now have the record of the history of the fulfillment of those things that Jesus taught right here. And once we have that clear in our mind, it just opens up a lot of clarity in so many other passages as well. Working in the field? That's right. That has nothing to do with anything in our future. So what we're talking about, and I've made this distinction before, 
But we're talking about any time that the Bible, the New Testament, and the Old Testament as well, Daniel, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, whenever they're talking about national punishment, they're talking about punishment as it relates to the Jews or a reward as it relates to the Jews. But now... We rest our laurels on Hebrews 9, which says, now it is appointed unto man once to die, and then that man's judgment. There is no longer any prophecy unfulfilled that would include a national or universal judgment. Now, you may not buy what I just said, but does anybody, do we understand it? Then you can think about it, you know, ponder it. So the difference is that all of these verses that relate to um, national judgment, reward and punishment, are referring to then whom? The Jewish people, the earth or Israel. And now we have nothing ahead of us prophetically that talks about a national judgment. No inference anywhere that I'm aware of. I can be proved wrong, but I don't know where I would go to find anything that talked about that kind of... That doesn't mean that nations don't rise and fall. Look what happened to this country. I mean, it's on a downward spiral. I don't believe it can be stopped. But that has nothing to do with biblical prophecy. It may have to do with... when. Principles are violated, there are natural consequences. And that's true with every, every individual as well as nations. It's true with churches. There are consequences when you violate certain principles. If you have a, if you have a, 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 a scythe and, or, a, say, a knife and you're doing a carving... And it gets dull. If you don't sharpen it, you just have to work harder. It doesn't make any difference whether you're prophetic or not. That's just a law. You have to sharpen it once in a while. Well, I've been on chainsaws. You grind away. You know, the smoke comes up. The wood turns black from burning. Sharpen it. Man, it just slices through like knife, you know, like a butter knife through pop, a hot knife through butter. Got to keep things sharp. So that's just a law. All right. <clears throat> so he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now I might say that I might add here that the acts talked about by John the Baptist might be appropriate here. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, 26. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who cast seed upon the soil. Well, that isn't the one I thought it was. Uh, And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and how he does not himself know. And the, The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain. Isn't that natural? law 
but he's using natural law to illustrate what's going on. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, that isn't the verse I was thinking about, but that certainly illustrates where we are. What I was thinking about was really Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's go there for a moment. <clears throat> chapter Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. When John, John the Baptist, he, he calls these Sadducees and Pharisees in verse 7 all of these complementary terms. He calls them, um, look at verse 7, uh, you brood of vipers. Now, you know, everybody would want to be in that group, right? Uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What wrath? The wrath that's prophesied by Malachi in chapter 4, the wrath that's coming upon Israel right now. That's why when it says this generation, they were going to see the wrath of God as it came upon the nation of Israel. But I'm not done yet. In verse 7, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That was his point. Daniel skipped over the ministry of Jesus and went all the way from John the Baptist to that event. You know, because this is a big event. Therefore, bear and that's in Malachi chapter 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not suppose that you have come to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. So I say to you that these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He's speaking about the potential inclusion of the Gentiles. Verse 10, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. The axe is, is a, making a reference to the Roman Empire, the same as the sickle is going to be used here uh, to define the Roman Empire doing God's work for him. <clears throat> so in verse 17, we have another angel coming out of the temple, which is in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. Now, I'm suggesting this, but I can't prove it. I'm suggesting that in verses 15 and 16 was the time of God's abandonment of the temple. And he moves out and leaves the temple vacant. In Matthew 23, I leave to you your temple desolate. Remember? Uninhabited. He moves out. And so now where would the temple be? It's wherever God is. And now God is in heaven, no longer in the temple because it has been evacuated. No need for it to be there because his people have all been reaped. Verse 17, now that's just an idea, you know, I can't prove it. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven and he also had a sharp sickle. So we're going to have a, a, different, a different group of people who are going to experience the sickle. The first part, I believe he's reaping. Uh, it could even be the 144,000. We'll talk about that next week in chapter 15, maybe. Um, and um, <clears throat> But the sickle here is, I think, is very definitely Rome as it fits in with the other visions and Rome's position in them. So this temple now, God has left his temple in Jerusalem. It has been evacuated. 
Now he has moved into heaven, in verse 17, and this angel has a sharp sickle, and he gives this angel, this angel gives its sickle to whom? That's a sickle. That's a sickle. Ever ever use one of those sickles? And you get one with a long handle, you know, that's called a scythe. You know, a scythe. You know what a scythe is? Any, any of you have a scythe? This might be. That's a scythe. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a real old one. Now. That's a really old one. Uh, and normally they have a longer handle, but it has a little another handle you hold on to as you... It's broken off. It's broken off. And um, it, it's how you slide it through. You know, you, you move that close to the ground, and you can, a good scyther can just mow that grain down and that crop down so it's even, even as if it were done with a machine. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be razor sharp. And he slides it through just right. And he just keeps walking his way through. If you want to have a sore back at the end of the night, mm-hmm. try doing that for a few months. Uh, okay. So this angel now has power over fire. Fire represents punishment. He came out from the altar. God's already evacuated. Came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So this time, this harvest is of the grapes of wrath. And the vine, the vine of the earth is what? Well, let's go first of all to Isaiah. I think we got time to do that. Isaiah chapter 5. And... um, Chapter 5 and verse 7. Uh, <clears throat> well, I, hopefully you're all sitting down. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is who? The house of Israel. So in this case, this harvest, on the same territory of Israel as opposed to the first harvest, what's this harvest going to be made up of? What kind of people? Naughty people. The chaff. The chaff. So the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice and behold bloodshed, righteousness, but behold a cry of distress. Now go over with now let's I gotta have one more. Let's go to Joel chapter three. You can all find Joel real quick, or Alex can, he's quick. And verse nine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cruise through a lot of verses here real quick. And starting with verse nine, Joel chapter three. 
And as Nolan said earlier, John, he knew all of what we're reading. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare a war, rouse the mighty man, let the, all the nations draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now that's the opposite of what we had heard earlier in other contexts. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man, hasten and come all you surrounding nations and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Same picture of troubled people. So they're going to be harvesting now from the vine of the earth, which are still who, what people? House of Israel. House of Israel. Still a part of the house of Israel. The vine of the earth. Here he's talking, and the reason the vine is emphasized here, he's talking about the Jewish system. Because they're connected on the vine. All the vine, that's right. You see the picture, the imagery? So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered not the clusters from, that's not there, shouldn't be there, and gathered the vine of the earth which not vines in plural, but vine in singular, singular, meaning that what was going to be permanently eliminated. See, Alex just proved me right. Huh? The house of Israel. All of it. All of it. The vine is gone. Then cut it in half, took all of it. Took the whole thing. The vine of the earth. With all of his clusters, but it was. Excuse me. Is that is that there in verse eighteen, or is it not there in verse eighteen too? Clusters. I think the clusters are there in verse eighteen. Mm-hmm. Clusters of the vine. Yeah, clusters of the vine. It's there. But so when he switches down to verse nineteen. And he eliminates the clusters, which they're going to still be attached, aren't they? But the emphasis here is on the vine. vine. And the vine represents the house of Israel. And then, and the reason we would include the clusters here, because, and through them, uh, would include the clusters. And that's probably why the texts have added that in there. But, folks, we don't want to forget the vine. And threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So as opposed to verses 15 and 16, which deals with the good people, the believing people, and possibly including the 144,000, and possibly those who were being martyred by Rome, 
Now he's talking about people who have an entirely different destiny. These are the people who perverted what should not have been perverted. These are the people that are being harvested now that had a vine, but they perverted it, corrupted it. I see that so true even today. We have to be so careful that we maintain the purity of the Lord's church all the way through. Well, he threw he threw them uh, into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And you might check to see whether that them is plural or whether I, I don't know for sure. That's what I, I love about we um, through, them through them into the great great wine press into oh and cast it oh there's not nothing there and cast into the wine press of the wrath of God. So the them isn't there, folks. Is it in yours, Lana? Do you see where we're talking? Mm-hmm. That's in verse 19. Yeah, would be the whole thing. The vine with the clusters. So now it's inclusive. You know, when, you, when, you, uh, when you're harvesting the grapes, you don't, you know, you trim the vine back, but you don't pull it out because, you know, un- unless it stops producing, well, and, and you, you pull it out. You trim it because uh, grapes only grow on new growth. So you trim it so that it will spur new growth, and that's true with a lot of vegetables, even, uh, even uh, the grapefruit tree. You know, the blossoms that come out come out on new growth. Well, the grape is a fruit, isn't it? It's not a vegetable. Grape is a fruit. Is I don't know that for sure. So, but we've, we're getting. I think you folks are getting the the image here real clear. Is that here we have the vine, but everything that's attached to it is all going down together. It's all going to go into into the great wine press of the wrath of God, and folks. The imagery of the wine press, wine press symbolizes national judgment of Israel. Did you say that, Greg? Everybody said it. Did he say it, or was he just bluffing? Okay. Um, you know, we we might look. Um, we might have time to read one passage back in Jeremiah. Chapter 25, and let's look at verse 15, um, well, 30, but uh, let me, uh, 25, I don't have this in your notes, but it just came to my mind in verse 15. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel says to me, take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Now, that was a mission to his people to go forth and do this to the nations of under God's direction. But in verse 30 of chapter 25 of Jeremiah, Therefore you shall prophesy against them all these words, and you shall say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, 
and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will shout like those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. I'm just pointing out some of the, and there's other passages you have in your notes, that this is not unfamiliar language to the people who are reading the book of Revelation in their time. As I quoted last week from Stuart, these people were competent receivers of this book. They were able to realize that what was being said to them was something that they would likely see in their lifetimes. That was the key to their understanding the book. Remember that? And I quoted that from the book of the Perusia, uh, and uh, the particular author behind that statement was um, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. All right, so, and the wine press was trodden outside the city. Would it really have made any difference at this point because the temple was already vacated? But anyway, it was outside the city. That's where the wine press was. And blood came out from the wine press up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. So we keep in mind that this, the imagery of the wine press symbolizes God's national judgment against the remaining Jews who have not been harvested in verses 15 and 16. With me so far? Now you may have questions about that. that that's legitimate. And the one treading the winepress is? No, not in this case. Let's, let's, let's go back and read Revelation. I've got to read this one for your sake, Nolan. I don't want you to ever make that mistake again. Where were we at? Are we in verse 20? Oh, I'm, I'm in verse 40. I skipped over. Uh, we're, we're in verse 20. But the, the winepress was trodden outside the city... And who was the one treading the winepress in chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 13 on? Let's read it. Verses 13. Chapter 19, verses 13 through um, um, 15. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he, 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 who? And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Well, that matches up with Acts 17, for he is the judge. He's the judge. See how that ties together? Beautifully done. So uh, there's a quote down here in verse 20 from Josephus. Just time to read that. Um, You can look this up on your internet. You know, if you have a Bible program, it will be in there. Here's what he says. He gives the number of those slain in the city of 1,100,000 excluding those slain in the battles that ravaged the whole of Palestine or were slaughtered in foreign cities. A non-Christian. Eyewitness. 
1,500 furlongs, as is spoken of in the King James, this 200 miles, is equal to the length of Palestine. So what's the what's the significant about that? Flooded the country with blood. Flooded the country. What country? Israel. Israel. Symbolically. Symbolically. And all of this then of the earth, the harvest of the earth, is all referring to what people? The Jewish people. So don't go back to Matthew 13 and come to me and say, well, this is something in our future. Folks, this is taking place right now in the lifetime of those people to whom it was written. 1,600 furlongs is equal to the length of Palestine. Therefore, the whole length of the land was polluted with the blood of the slain. And I think that's the significant part of that. So we know from Revelation 14 that Christ trods out the winepress. Correct? Yeah. Okay. From chapter 19. 19, not 19, 14. Yeah, we're in chapter 14. Okay. Judgment's been given into his hands. That's right. God yeah. has, and he says, all judgment will be given to me from the Father. And he's exercising it now. And he is going to be fulfilling in this event, he is going to be fulfilling his purpose as king of the Jews. And I believe that judgment is within the Jewish realm. Oh, I do too. Um, that's why it's so hard to try to bring everybody in the world in to this this time. But that's what's being tried to We're trying to do that in modern theology. Well, you know, it, it's been a problem for... In, there's just a very, very few people that had it right. Well, the Prussia was written in 1887... 1887. How many of you have read the Prussia before we introduced it here? Probably no, never heard of it. Never heard of One it. of the most profound books you ever read. You know how I got a piece of it? I didn't know that it existed. Somebody sent me, tore out a chapter and sent it to me for an argument's sake. <laughs> She's not living any longer, but her husband is still living. And... I would hopefully I'd have a chance to see him someday. But folks, this should be what we've said tonight should be clear in your minds as to what I'm saying it pertains to. That doesn't mean there's not room for argument, not room for opposition. We don't hold people to the fire if they agree or don't agree with us on these matters. But it seems to me like it makes the most sense and that it is a part of the the beauty of the harmony of Scripture. Let's close. Father, it is always a supreme delight to be in the Word together with folks who care about it and who love it and who are willing to think about it, not for the purpose of agreement, but for the purpose of understanding, because it aids us so much to see that your Word fits and has a beauty to it. May each one of us be committed to faithfulness until we meet again. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.